This is Marshall Fant. Welcome to GFA Missions Podcast ReChurch. Glad to have you back with us. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is to equip pastors and church leaders to equip disciples to continually making disciples in their churches, so we help them refocus, renew, and revitalize their church. Today's topic is one that really I was going to try to write an article on, and finally I said, no, I'm going to get somebody that really knows what they're doing to interview. So today we've got two special guests, David Schof, Welcome. Welcome. And so glad to have you. So Dave and Trina Schof, we'll go through some introductions in a few minutes as far as where they've been. Paul Stevenson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Paul is married to Susan. And Paul, let's start with you. So you pastored uh, mainly in the area of Pennsylvania. I know you did a few years in France. Uh, Correct. Yeah. So you pastored in Pennsylvania how many years? Well, I pastored three different churches for a period of about 35 years. Okay. And the reason I'm saying this, I, I want our listeners to understand the age is a compliment here, but what I'm trying to say is y'all have been in the ministry a long time. All right. So uh, Dave, you and Trina, y'all pastor in Illinois. Give our listeners a little bit of your background. Well, I was an independent Baptist Bolingbrook for four, three years. Before that, I started a church in Michigan. And before that, I was a part-time pastor in Georgia. Wow. Okay. So right now, the reason I wanted you two on here, you're currently serving as interim pastors as we speak, correct? Correct. And so an interim pastor is a pastor that comes in during the transition from when the pastor retires or resigns until the church gets a new permanent pastor. So this is the ministry. And I really appreciate what, you know, we have 14 couples at GFA serving in this ministry, interviewing Dave and Trina this morning. I mean, Dave, Trina's not with us, interviewing Dave and Paul because they're currently are doing this right now. So they're helping churches. So again, the topic, okay, the topic is this, for a church to become the kind of church a pastor would want to come to. So would we agree, Paul and David, that churches in transition are vulnerable? Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So for our listeners' sake, what I challenge Paul and, and David to come up with would be three or so key things that a church needs to consider during the transition period. So during the time they're without a pastor, in order to make the church the type of church a pastor would want to come to, you know, I just asked him to make a few notes. And so this is going to be back and forth with Paul and, and Dave, and really we'll be interrupting each other. So listeners, please put up with this as we talk through these things, but they're very important. And so Paul, let's start with you. So what would be maybe one of the top three things you would recommend a church to think through as they're in transition? Well, I have thought about this for some time, and I do believe that the church leadership should discuss and perhaps put in writing particulars that they are desiring for their next pastor. Okay. So that that's one issue. And why would that be? So the key, the key of this would be what? Well, these are issues that are not directly related to the doctrine or the bylaws of the church or right. even the pastor's character, which are essential. Right. But they're significant respecting certain traditions of the church uh, that will help to maintain unity. I guess we would say they're not a wish list, but they're really, in some respects, non-negotiables. It could be, you know, the position on Bible versions, the genre of music, style preaching, things like that. I think one thing you mentioned to me, which I really appreciate it, so really, when they start this, so there's not a pendulum swing from, okay, our previous pastor was strong in this, therefore we want somebody else strong in something else. It, you want to address that, Paul? And then, Dave, you can chime in on that. 
Yes, I do. My experience has been there is a tendency, if there has been an imbalance, that when the decision is being made or thought about for the next pastor, there can be a swing. For instance, if they've had a pastor, the previous pastor has been a micromanager or authoritarian in leadership, uh-huh. balance there. Right. Uh, the tendency could be that they pick somebody who has a far more passive approach to leadership, and that can mm. be a, a liability. Yeah. Yeah, the ditch is both sides of the road. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. Say, Dave, say that again. There are ditches on both sides of the road. Yes, yes. And what you guys are trying to do is put some guardrails up so we don't go in the ditch, right? <laughs> All right, so let me define for our audience again. So Dave and Paul, they're interim pastors, but what their advice is right now, maybe your church is without a pastor and does not have an interim pastor, okay? So that's kind of the way I framed the questions to Paul and Dave. So again, uh, Paul's first one was that to identify, you know, shortcomings maybe of the previous. Of course, all right, can we all say this? There is no perfect pastor. Okay, right. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so if a church is looking for the perfect pastor, they're not going to find it. Is that a fair way to say that? That's right. All right, right, Paul, so your illustration of a pendulum swing would be maybe the previous pastor was too authoritarian or a micromanager, so (laughs) then you don't go swing into the direction of become passive. Is there another illustration maybe you want to use on that? Uh, Yes, another one would be, for instance, if you have somebody who is very much of a teaching pastor, maybe has a fairly high level of education, but he's not relational. Okay. The swing, the pendulum swing can be the other side where they're not so much concerned about having somebody who has a bunch of degrees. They want a a, a relational pastor who Mm. just really loves them and cares about them. And that can be a very dangerous, slippery slope as well. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, you got any other examples you want to pull in? Well, you know, I've often said that I love pastoring more than preaching, although I love preaching. Right. Yes. But it's that relationship of pastoring and shepherding that most churches maybe put second place and they Mm. put their pulpit ministry in first place. So, yeah, I would agree exactly what Paul said. Okay. Paul, you got anything else you want to add to that point? Well, this is probably tied in with this, but I I do think that part of the discussion— in the leadership should be maybe even putting down something about the philosophy that they would like to have of the new pastor mm. his relationship with the deacons. Okay. Uh, yeah. If it's tied in with this, the leadership style, but how, how are they expecting this pastor to work with the deacons? You know, that, that relationship can be very sensitive where it's can go the direction where the deacons just basically do everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then the pastor is just kind of sitting on the sidelines, or he, he basically makes the deacons kind of like puppets, you know, yes, man. Sure. I think that should be just discussed. Okay, so as the church is doing this, I want to I want to draw a line right down the middle. So we have what the church should be doing, okay, establishing internally, right? And then as they do that, as they start to interact with a pastoral candidate, I want to pick up with something that Dave Schofield said. And Dave, you really made the comment, you, you re- rephrase it the way you want to, but the fact the pulpit committee should ask questions and not make statements of well, a candidate. Yes. <laughs> so this ties in kind of with what Paul's saying to try to figure out, okay, so the church knows, they got an idea of 
They don't want to overreact. So they got an idea of what they want. The question is, and how do you interact with a pastoral candidate to, to find that out? And Dave, I thought you had some good ideas on that. What, what were your things there? Well, if a church is going to get an interim, they probably should hold off sending out things, including applications, until the interim can preview it. Okay. All right. So the preview process could be very important. All right. The audience right now will be a church without an interim. If this is a church without a pastor and without an interim pastor, we at GFA would love to help you. Okay. But let's, right. let's say it's a church. They, they don't have the privilege of having an interim pastor. And so if they do, I agree, they need to wait and run it through him. But let's say they don't. So what, what do they do? Well, maybe find somebody that would help them. Okay. If they really have a missionary evangelist, a pastoral friend, or somebody that could help them through some of this. Okay. But to specifically respond to your question is, I think it's questionable to ask a candidate to change what he is to fit what a church may not know they need. Okay. So, all right. Now, Paul's so established a church. A church needs to know who they are. Right. They need to know yes, who the All candidate right. is. All right. So Nepal's right. established that. And so now continue, Dave, please. Well, I, I am not for sure that it is best to say what you are as a church before finding out who the guy is that you are interested in. Okay. So to do that, what would you do? Well, I would ask uh, the questions about, like, what translation would you use in the pulpit, or what schools do you recommend? You know, what evangelist do you use, or what kind of music do you think fits or best fits your pulpit ministry, that type of thing? Well, who are your favorite musicians? Rather than saying, this is what we are. Yeah. Because it's kind of a backdoor approach. It keeps them honest. Yeah, it's it's backdoor, but it's also <laughs> it's front door. Okay, so then you allow them to describe their ministry. So I think what what Paul was saying is crucial. The church needs to figure out who they are. Yes, and then they need to discern as they're looking for the next under shepherd. Really, who is he, or who he is? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. Paul, you want to add anything to that? I think there could be some variables here. I mean, there would yes. be some things that could be very, very clear that they really don't want to even be accepting resumes from somebody who's just so far removed from that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, that it's just not going to work, and they're going to be wasting their time going through this. So there's some issues that may they want to actually want to articulate ahead of time, and there's some others that, that Dave mentioned. I think should be hey, let's see what he thinks. What is his philosophy of pastors deacons? We know what we believe, but let's right. see what he says. All right, so if a church doesn't know who they are in these areas, as Paul laid out, chances are they may bring in somebody that could split the church because they really don't know what they need. Is that a fair way to say it? Yes. Yes, Okay. I agree. All right. Any other comments in general on that topic? Well, I, I've been kind of surprised about how churches research a candidate Okay. And how they don't go to deeper levels. Right. Uh, like uh, a church should get on Facebook and check this guy out, as well as second and third level friendships. Yeah. 
All right, so we're going to talk about pulpit committees on a separate podcast. So we're going to bring you all back, all right? So let's hold that for a pulpit committee. Right now, let's talk about the church. They don't even have a candidate. They just need to get ready for a candidate. Yes. Okay, so that's kind of where I want to frame this one, okay? So everything you're saying is good, Dave, but we'll come back to that. So we'll switch it. So, Dave, what would be number two for you on this? What would be an area that you would want uh, how a church could become the type of church a pastor want to come to? As far as asking questions, or no. are you talking no, in general? Finances? Well, yeah, there okay. you go. Let, let me just touch on finances, because sure. in the last several churches I've been to, they, they sometimes they have the data, but it's just not usable. All right, what do you mean by that? it's not posted. For example, they know what their offerings are. Right. But to find out last year's offerings or the last five years, they're hard-pressed to find it. They mm. don't keep it in an organized fashion. All right, so what would you um, recommend? Well, I'm mostly familiar with Power Church. I know there's probably better ones out there. Um, so Power Church is so- a computer software program that runs church finances and attendance and all that, right? Right. You okay. don't need it, but some churches have very or usable records. So if a man comes in, he really doesn't know the track record of the church's attendance or giving. Would five years be sufficient on that, Dave? I'd say it's minimal. Okay. You prefer to see as much as you could? Right. All right, Paul, what time frame would you like to see? Five years, 10 years, or just as much as you could? (laughs) Well, I think probably if there were some things that were very, very serious, may go back further than five years. For instance, if there was a bankruptcy, okay, you know, some lawsuits against the church or something like that, maybe that's seven or eight years back. Well, I think, I think it's worthwhile at least bringing those things to the surface, but probably generally five years is going to be enough. Okay. All right. So Dave and that data you brought up, okay. You use the word usable. It would be like general offerings. Or what would you want it to see? General offerings, missions, designated, offerings, designated, missions. Yeah. Expenses, year to date, percentages of budget, you know, all that kind of thing. All right. I'd also like to see how the finances work. All right. Uh, some churches don't use cosigners. Some, all right. Whoa, 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 whoa. For our audience, what do you mean by cosigners? <laughs> there should be two signatures on a check, and the person writing yeah. the check shouldn't be a signer. All right. So we got money coming in and we got money going out. So money coming in, you always want two people counting, right? Money going out, yes. you want two people signing. All right, so, yeah, that would be a, a red flag if a church doesn't have that safety net in place because you don't know what you might get into, what you might uncover. Again, two people counting, two people going out. What else on the finances, Dave? Well, I, I like to see percentages of what is given per budget item. Okay. Some churches don't even have a budget, so yeah. that could be another factor here. All right. I think Paul brought up something. So if there's been a significant financial either blessing, let's say the church inherited $200,000 from somebody that died, or a big significant shortfall where they haven't been able to pay the bills, Paul, you want to comment on that? What would be some other major financial things the church would need to put together can you think of anything else there? No, I think pretty much Dave covered what I had uh, thought about. Certainly, if if these reports are available, it's going to give a little bit of an idea whether they're getting regular financial support from the members. 
And I, I think that's significant to know. Is, is the church being funded essentially by the church, or is there some outside donor that just kind of throwing you know, money in the pot to keep the church going? So, Or have they been selling off property to pay the bills? I, oh, boy. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was with one church like that. You know, I was wondering how they were floating in the in the acreage yeah. kept going down. So I think that would be important. I think this is almost a non-negotiable. A church that wants to be the kind of church that a pastor is going to come to, they've got to get their financial act together. Is that is that fair to say, guys? Right. Yes. And I and I think the people of the church should be pretty informed as to how it's going, not just the deacons. Oh, I agree. I agree, but a lot of churches haven't done this, or the pastor's pastor was doing it all, and now he's gone. Right. So I, I the think pastor shouldn't touch it. <laughs> well, I <laughs> I agree with you. That's a whole, another whole topic, but that'd be dealing with pastors. All right. So finances. Um, we talked a little bit about philosophy. You got to get the financial boat in order, if I can put it that way. All right. So Paul, let's go back to you. You want to address the Constitution? And I know this may seem like dull information. But this is crucial for a pastor coming in. This is the kind of stuff he's going to need to know, right? So, Paul, address the Constitution. Yes, well, the Constitution is a legal document for the church. It's it's very, very significant that it be available, not just the leadership, but the church membership as well. But I do believe that the leadership in, in looking for a pastor, even prior to actually you know, looking for the pastor, should review the Constitution, and that includes a doctrinal statement as well as the bylaws, right. for possible weaknesses, omissions, maybe there's some unwise procedures for church business. There could be possibly even some unbiblical statements. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think the church, in reviewing that, and I'm going to say primarily the church leadership, they should be willing to make changes to their Constitution prior to the calling of the new pastor, so it's not awkward for him. So this is a very good point. So as the church is updating the Constitution, and again, in just a minute, I'm going to have Dave and Paul give out their email addresses. I know they would be happy to help a church review their Constitution. I'll give mine as well. Now, Paul, what you're saying is it's important for the church to do this before the pastor comes in and not put it on him. Uh, how long does it take for a pastor to gain credibility to start making changes in a church? So I'll, I'll throw that first to Paul. How long would it take, Paul? At least how long? I don't know. I've, I've heard as much as five to seven years. Okay. That could be less, especially if he's already been part of the church for a yeah. while. Okay. They know him really well. But if he's a new guy coming in off the block, it takes a while. It takes quite a while. All right. Uh, Dave, what would you say? <laughs> Uh, depends on the man in the, the church. The guy, if, <laughs> okay. it's an, if it's an old guy yeah. like Paul or you, uh, <laughs> it be, might careful. be a lot careful. Faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it could be uh, eight or nine months. Okay. If we're older and uh, come in with some experience or helps. All right, but I want to reemphasize what Paul said. So, if the new guy coming in, if this is having to be put on him, okay, oh. you're putting a burden on him that yeah. you should do now. Because I'm telling you, the first change he makes, somebody's going to get upset. So um, right. I just want to reemphasize. The younger guy especially. Especially younger guy. All right. So, Paul, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to say that. So, number one, what would you do, Paul, if a church calls you and says, Paul, we can't even find our Constitution. What do we do? Because this happens. Yeah. I mean, I was in a church, and they said, I think we have one somewhere. 
a church could really find themselves, especially if the pastor had done everything. All right. So if a church is listening and they don't know where their constitution is, they don't have a clue. I don't mean that to be mean. I'm just trying to say if, if they don't. Paul, what would you recommend? And then, Dave, I'll have you comment on that. Well, I think there's probably some research can be done. They find a, a former church clerk who might have a copy okay. of it. That's a possibility, you know, into their archives. That may be that they may have even registered something with, with the state. I'm not quite sure. It varies from state to state. Yeah, uh, Secretary possibly, of State's office, maybe, yeah. Possibly a previous pastor yeah. uh, might yeah. have that in there the you files. Go. Okay. I'm assuming somewhere it's going to be able to be located. It just right. might take a little while. There you go. So, I mean, you gave that clerks, pastors. Dave, you got any other comments on that? Well, I think the Constitution should be reviewed every few years anyway. Yes. Agreed. Especially a statement Agreed. of faith. Yeah. Right. Yep. So this could be a good pattern to begin for a church. Good, yeah. I have a comment to make about sure. this. Interacting with church, I wasn't formerly an interim pastor, but I had a very close relationship with them. And when I looked at the doctrinal statement or constitution, I found that it was well over 50 years old, had never mm. been updated the entire time. Wow. It still had the name of the previous church many years ago that helped start it. They actually had that in the Bible. They hadn't even removed that name. It was so complicated, I couldn't understand it. I read it over and over again, and I couldn't make heads and tails out of it. So I, I mentioned to leadership, I said, you really need to address this issue. You're going to have a problem. You could potentially have a problem having a new pastor come in and have to deal with this. Mm. So anyway, I did bring that to their attention, and they do have a new pastor, and they're working on making those changes. But this was one that was just... Yeah, the doctrine wasn't bad, but the bylaws were so very confusing. So yeah. I think there are things that should be looked at, you know. Yeah, and for church leaders listening, there are sample constitutions we can get you. Yes. Okay. So at this point, Dave Schof, would you give your email address to everyone, please? Okay, it's David L. Schof, S-H-O-A-F. It's one word, and you have to put the L in it at Gmail. Okay, so David L. Schof, S-H-O-A-F, at gmail.com. Paul? Yes, mine is P, the initial P, T, so it's initial T, Stevenson, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N, at gmail.com. Okay, P, Paul, T, Tom, Stevenson, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N, at gmail. And mine is M-F-A-N-T, at gfamissions.org. All right, so a church now gets their constitution, they get it up to date, they make those changes, and again, if they don't know what to do, they can call one of the three of us, be happy to help them. And there's one more area I want to address in this podcast, then we'll continue recording a part two. But Dave, I want you to address the membership records. Who is a member? Who is an attender? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, let me say first, this constitution thing is really a big deal. And, you know, like dissolution clauses and a doctrinal statement is really big deal. So, all right. So let's, I'll tell you, well, let's go back. Let's park back there. That. No, no. All right, let's go back and park there. All right. So the reason it's a big deal is why? Well, it's not even legal. Okay. It's not legal. Okay. For a not for profit. And so a church has to follow their constitution the church is voted on correct yes and if you and don't, don't have baggage like like schools or something else yeah. they don't have anymore 
Okay, so it needs to be up to date, but number one, it's got to be followed. I'm glad you kind of yes. circled back. And then statement of faith. There are things like the human sexuality clause needs to be put in there, right? Yes. Can y'all think of any other updates to make sure, again, there are sample constitutions, Alliance Defending Freedom. You can search their samples. Probably whoever carries your church insurance may have a sample constitution like Brotherhood Mutual or Church Mutual. Christian Law Association. Um, Christian Law Association, CLA, Christian Law Association has some samples. Let's finish out this first podcast on the Constitution, because you're right. If you don't follow it, you're in all kind of trouble. What other advice you got, Dave? Well, just to hear Paul's story, sometimes it's better just to throw out the old one and bring the new one in. Yes. Rather than try to wordsmith everything. All right, so what do you do if Paul, let's say this Constitution has a clause, this Constitution and statement of faith can never be changed or updated? How do you handle that? I think I'd bring an attorney in or somebody. Okay. And and tell them the first motion is we change in the the way this is worded. (laughs) Yes. Okay, you have to, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay. Paul, you would say just start afresh maybe with a new Constitution in some cases? I've worked through both ways with churches. I've worked it through where there were adjustments that could be made. Okay. I also work with a church where the adjustments were made, but it's like, why didn't we just start from scratch? This is so unbelievably difficult to do, patching this and patching that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think this case that I mentioned a few moments ago, I think it would probably be much better for them to just start from scratch. But that's a very difficult thing unless, you, like you say, you, you have some pretty strong advice coming in, perhaps. What I want these church leaders that are listening to this to understand is they're not out there alone, okay? There are resources. Right. Dave Shove, Paul Stevenson, myself, Marsh Fan, and we have other interims. They'll be happy to help you either become an interim in your church or just help you from a distance. You know, we'd be happy to help either way. All right, before we wrap it up, anything else on this particular podcast? Anything else on Constitution, yes, Statement of Faith? Yeah, go. Briefly. Yeah. Sometimes churches have not just their Constitution of their bylaws and the doctrine, but they also have policies that perhaps are internal, yes. and they're not necessarily officially bylaws, but there are policies. For instance, it has recently been suggested that churches, in light of the sexual revolution that we're involved in, to actually have something in writing about building usage that's going to use the building. Mm -hmm. And I think that's meritorious to consider that who actually is going to be members of the church are going to be using it, what exceptions have to be approved through the board, things like that, because we've got some things right on the horizon here that are not comfortable. Dave, you want to comment on that? Oh, I agree 100%. All right. I know that the insurance companies I have worked with, they will come in and do what they call a risk assessment, where they will review your facilities as well as what Paul just brought out, documents. So if someone wants to use the building for a wedding, okay, there's a building use policy that matches your statement of faith. Paul, is that kind of where you – yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, I don't want our deacons and and lay people listening to this feel overwhelmed. You do have partners – and your insurance company may be one of those that help you do that. Yes. Okay. All right. Anything else on this podcast you want to bring up before we wrap this one up and go to podcast number two? That's fine. Okay. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.